she was ready, wasn't she? Congratulations, Kathy. That was an awesome decision. And her life now starts where she gets to start that transformation, right? So let's just give it up for Kathy one more time. Now, I know I was close to two. Jenny was back there crying, but. So good morning. Good morning to all of you. Good morning to you online. If you're watching with us, we're still excited and happy that you get to be a part of us, even if you're not here in front of us. For those of you that are here, uh, good morning to you. Want to let you know, I did brush my teeth this morning. Uh, and I resisted coffee even in between services. So my breath is good. So you, you're in a good place. Okay. Get some good breath going on. Yeah. But we, uh, <clears throat> Uh, also, if you want to take notes as I talk, if you want to follow along, you can pull out your phone uh, and have that available and on while I talk. You're not going to hurt my feelings, I promise. And you can, in your browser, type notes.okalonacc.org. I think the URL might be right above me on the screen. That would take you right to our digital notes, a cool feature that we have that you can follow along uh, with that. Today, we're going to continue in our year-long series of going through Mark Moore's book, Quest 52. A book that is challenging us to give Jesus just a small portion uh, of his life, of our lives, a small portion of our lives, to begin to see the change that can happen each and every day. And, and better yet, not even the experience, the change, but better yet, the transformation that can happen. And you may say, why go a whole year 52 weeks, 365 days, just to see how Jesus is going to transform us? I think that's a legit question. My answer would be, why not longer? Because see, transformation, it's not a snap of the finger kind of thing. It's not an instant thing that happens and now we don't have to worry about it anymore. It's an everyday thing. It takes time. Let's, let's think about it like this. And I can't claim this blank screen. There we go. I can't claim this equation. All right. Even as a former math teacher, I can't say I came up with this. Uh, this was actually created by a guy by the name of Mike Malcolmus. And he is the founder and president of an inner city ministry called Generation One. It's been going on for years. And they work specifically in the third ward of Houston, Texas. It's the most impoverished area uh, just outside of downtown right next to the campus of the University of Houston. I actually worked for Generation One for a short time uh, while we lived in Houston and they do amazing work and and they are all about transformation in the people in that community but they understand that this isn't an instant thing and what they say is that as we give love to those people that over time It breeds hope. And once you have hope and you continue to get the love, that over time, that hope will lead to transformation. And since time is the unknown variable in this equation, we can't exactly say how long that will take. We can't say, that's going to happen in five days or that's going to happen in two months. The thing is, we don't know. But it's also not something that we just sit back and let happen on its own. There is 
there is an, an active relationship that happens between us and Jesus that we are doing our part. He is doing his part. That transformation happens, but it happens on Jesus's time. Because Luke 9, 23 tells us that it is a daily decision to take up our cross and follow him. So it's not a one-time choice. It's not the choice as soon as you pray, Jesus, forgive me, become Lord of my life, enter into my heart. Doesn't work like that. It's a great thing. Don't get me wrong. It's a great thing. It's an amazing thing what Kathy did, but that transformation is not set and done as soon as she came up out of that water. She now, she has now started her transformation that she will choose every day to love Jesus and allow him to work in her life. And since we're talking about relationships, I want to take a moment. I've said we're going to talk about relationship all morning long. But allow me to take a few seconds uh, to talk about somebody in my life who I have a relationship with that really made me a better man, transformed me into a better man. And I do this because today is May 28th. And you're like, well, that's just another day. What does that have to do with anything? Well, 18 years ago on this day, my wife made me a better man by saying I do. And so I just want to, she, she was online hosting, so I got to look at her kind of in the camera. She's now, I think, in the children's area. But I just want to say happy anniversary to my wife. And uh, if you haven't got to know her, do so. Because you're missing out if you don't know who she is. She's a cool lady. Have you ever done or said something that caused a riff in a relationship? Or has something ever been done or said to you that caused that relationship to become broken? Feelings are hurt. Trust is broken. The relationship changes. Now, relationships changing are inevitable. Over time, it's going to happen. And if that relationship is changing for the better, if that relationship is changing to something stronger, that relationship is changing in a way where there's more accountability, where there's deeper trust, where that bond is stronger, that's great. If that relationship is changing for the worse, that relationship is changing where there's now more and more distance between you and that person, that relationship is now broken That's the kind of change that we don't want. In his book, Mark talks about his friend Bob. And he talks about this friend of his. He was a little bit older than Mark was, but they were tight. They did everything together, ate together, hung out together. They confided in each other. They even traveled together. And he talks about this one time they actually traveled overseas and Mark did or said something that hurt Bob. And Bob didn't say anything about it. And Mark even says for a long time, he didn't even know what he had done. And as time went on, that hurt stayed. And because Bob hadn't shared, things between the two of them changed. They eventually stopped talking to each other, lost contact altogether, and Bob had passed away. And Mark puts it that because of the amount of time that had passed, that when he did finally realize what he did and went to Bob to try to fix it, he says, it was beyond my ability 
to fix. And Mark says in his book that that relationship not being restored was one of the greatest regrets that he has. Let me put this question in your mind right off the bat. Who is the one that you need to fix things with? Who's the one that you need to go to and begin restoration in a relationship? A few weeks ago, Fitz talked to us about Jesus calming the storm and the man who was possessed by legion and he threw the demon into pigs. Remember that story? And the pigs ran off the cliff and the, the, the NASDAQ stock and bacon went down for a little bit, but thankfully we've come back. But <laughs> thank you for that, whoever left. <laughs> but that story, uh, the, the, and like I said, right before the pigs, there was the storm. Jesus calmed the storm. Because Jesus was in Capernaum. He got in a boat and he traveled across the Sea of Galilee, which is when the storm happened. And he got to the other side. And then he had the instance with the pigs. And our story today takes place right after that story. So if you're wondering where in the timeline are we, that's where we are. So Jesus gets in the boat after the pigs jump off the cliff. And he starts to travel back across the Sea of Galilee. And he's going back to Capernaum. And he gets off the boat in Capernaum. And there are people there that are waiting. They've been waiting for him to come back. Because at this point in Jesus' life, they, they have a, a great understanding. Well, not a great understanding. They have a good understanding of what he can do. And these people wanted to see Jesus. And they wanted to talk to him. They wanted him to, to heal them or their friends. And there was one guy in particular who was there for just that. His name was Jairus. He was the leader of the local synagogue. And our story is going to come today from Luke chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles, pull those out. Open up to Luke 8. If you've got it on your phone, your Bible app, great, you can go there. If you have it memorized, I'm jealous. Let's meet later so you can teach me how to do that. If you don't have a Bible, there is a Bible in the seat back right in front of you. You go ahead and pull that out. There's even a pen next to the Bible so that you can write your name in it. And then you can take it home and that is our gift to you. We want everybody to be able to access uh, the word of God. If you need a Spanish Bible, we have those available as well. Just come see me. We'll get you one of those. Now, as I said, Jesus crossed back over the Sea of Galilee. He gets out of the boat. The crowds surround him. And there is a man named Jairus who is there to come to talk to Jesus about his daughter. His daughter is dying. And he's looking for Jesus to heal her. So we're going to start. uh, Actually, well, let me just say this. Jairus, I said, was a leader of the synagogue. This means he could have been a Pharisee. Or a high-ranking official that was appointed by a Pharisee. But either way, Jairus was in that social circle that wasn't a fan of Jesus. Okay, let's look. We're going to start in verse 40 in chapter 8. On the other side of the lake, the crowds welcomed Jesus because they had been waiting for him. The man, Then a man named Jairus, a leader of the local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet. Pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was about 12 years old, was dying. So Jairus, much like Nicodemus, who we talked about before, he broke the rules of being a Pharisee or somebody who was in that social circle to come to Jesus for help. 
His status was very much on the line by coming to Jesus and asking him to heal his daughter with the, with the status that he had. And you might be thinking right now, well, Anthony, what, what father wouldn't break the rules or do whatever he could for his daughter? And we see that here. But I think we could all probably think of somebody present or maybe in the past where that would have been a big deal. Where they would have been hesitant to put their social status on the line. To do something that would have destroyed that. And so Jairus was taking a risk. He was taking a risk of, of who he was to come to Jesus and ask for this. The next thing I want to look at in this verse is his daughter. And the daughter was 12 years old and she was dying. Which I believe is safe to assume, to assume that she had been sick for a while. And, and Jairus has now waited a significant amount of time that has probably passed from when she got sick to the point of leading it to death. And for Jairus to have waited to let that time pass before seeking out Jesus meant that the relationship between him and his daughter was now on the line of her dying. And that relationship would have ended. And that relationship would have been broken. And the daughter dying means just that. A relationship broken. And in this case, it was a father-daughter relationship. But in our case, it's allowing too much time to pass before we try to fix the relationship. Because the more time that passes, the less likely the relationship can be fixed. The more time that passes, the more we wait, the longer it takes for us to approach the person that we have a broken relationship with, the less likely the relationship can be fixed. See, we cannot let too much time pass. We cannot let our pride keep us from seeking out restoration. We cannot let our stubbornness stop us from allowing the relationship to be fixed. As Mark Moore stated in his story about his friend, the pain that Mark caused was too deep and too late, making it beyond his ability to fix. I think if we read between the lines a little bit, what Mark was saying was if he would have known and he would have went right to his friend in that moment or or very shortly after, he could have said, Bob, I'm sorry that I said this. And it could have been worked out and the relationship could be restored. But too much time had gone on. And when he finally did know and realized what had happened and he went, he said it was beyond my ability to fix. Meaning a simple I'm sorry wasn't going to work. And at that point, prayer needs to come in. Uh, maybe even another, another person to help fix that relationship was needed. But so much time had passed that, like we said, Bob had passed away. But time, after a relational hurt has happened, time is a relationship killer. Time is a monster that's hungry to destroy any chance of restoration happening. Time will cause the relationship to become broken. And this time monster is just sitting there feeding 
on that bond between you and the other person. And the more that that time passes, the more that time monster gets to eat away at that relationship bond, making the relationship more and more fragile and less likely to be restored. Ephesians chapter four says this, don't let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. I love the language that's used here in the Holman Christian standard of, of don't give the devil an opportunity. Because the longer that we let time go on, the greater the opportunity Satan has at not only breaking that relationship, but killing it altogether. So Jesus is now traveling with Jairus back to his home uh, to go and heal his daughter. And there's an interruption that happens along the way. We're going to talk about that interruption next, but I don't want to get off the story of Jairus and his daughter and, and keep jumping back and forth between stories. So we're going to come, we'll come back and talk about that. But <clears throat> Jairus didn't have to travel far to find Jesus. And so when we find out that his daughter had died, it's not because of the time of, of travel that had to happen. It may have been because of this interruption. And I think, like I said earlier, it's safe to assume because the amount of time that, that Jairus waited to approach Jesus in the first place when his daughter had become sick. Because the, the verse we read earlier said that Jairus was a leader of the local synagogue. So sometime between J- Jesus getting off the boat, Jairus meeting him, and the interruption we'll look at next, the daughter had died. We see here in verse 49, we're going to jump all the way down. And it says, while he was still speaking to her, her is that interruption we're going to talk about in a minute. A messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. And he told him, your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher now. The daughter's died. And the messenger who came to find Jairus says, just... Just leave Jesus alone. There's no point anymore. And so what we see here is a lack of faith. A lack of faith that his daughter could still be healed. A lack of faith in Jesus. Now we know, because we've read the stories, we know that Jesus raised himself from the dead. So why couldn't he raise the daughter? Well, but that happens after this. So the people here wouldn't have, Jairus wouldn't have known that Jesus could do that. But then we could say, well, but he raised Lazarus from the dead. Again, that story happens after this one. So no knowledge that Jesus was able to do that. However, besides this and Lazarus, there was another instance where Jesus raised somebody from the dead. There was a widow in in a town called Nain. And her son had died and Jesus brought him back to life. That happened before this. And Nain was only 20 miles southwest of Capernaum. So, And I don't know, I don't know the time between the widow's son and Jairus' daughter, how much time had passed. But you would think word's going to travel just 20 miles Word's going to travel to Capernaum. Given the benefit of the doubt, maybe it didn't. But we're still talking about Jesus. We're still talking about the guy who has performed all these miracles. 
before then. We're still talking about the guy who changed water to wine, the guy who told a crippled person to get up and walk, the guy who took mud and put it on a person's eye and they could see again. And so you would think, man, if Jesus can do all that, just imagine what he could do. But they hit, they hit a faith wall. Now the daughter is dead. And in Jairus's mind and everybody else's mind, that relationship is now done. And regardless of how much time have passed, there was a lack of faith that Jesus could restore that relationship and bring her back to life. Because Jesus can do, 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 do. And then they stopped. That faith stopped when death happened. There was a lack of faith, which tells us that a lack of faith will cause a broken relationship. And if we allow our thoughts to, di- to dictate that a relationship cannot be restored, a lack of faith is present. A lack of faith in ourselves, a lack of faith in the other person, a lack of faith in Jesus. And if we're going to fix the relationship between that other person and that lack of faith is standing in the way, then we need to strengthen our relationship with Jesus so that we can fix and strengthen our relationship with the other person. Because a lack of faith, when a lack of faith, when our faith in what Jesus can do decreases, our relationship with him diminishes. So if we have a lack of faith in what Jesus can do, if we have a lack of faith in how Jesus can act and how Jesus can move, if that decreases, our relationship with him diminishes. Because our faith in him is our relationship with him. And so if there is a lack of faith, there is a a broken relationship between us and Jesus. And that needs to be fixed and strengthened so that we can restore relationship with other people. We mentioned that there was an interruption that Jesus had traveling to Jairus' home. And a woman was trying to go unnoticed in the crowd that had surrounded Jesus and he got off the boat. We see, we're going to jump back up now to verse 43, and we see a woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding, and she could find no cure. And coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and she was immediately healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and Jesus asks, who touched me? And I'd like to think in Peter's response, there was a little bit of laughter Now, everyone denied it. So even at this point, the lady didn't say, oh, it was me. I'm sorry. But I'd like to think Peter said, Jesus, uh, everybody's touching you. Right? The crowd's pressing upon you. But Jesus says, well, I get it. But someone deliberately touched me for I felt healing power go out from me. And when the woman realized that she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and she fell to her knees in front of him, and the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she had been immediately healed. Here we see a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years. She, she had what was known as postmenopausal bleeding. It's a real condition. It wasn't something that has only happened here. But I want us to notice 
not her condition, but her demeanor that she tried to stay hidden. See, when a woman was menstruating, she was considered unclean. We see this back in Leviticus. Levitical law uh, states that they would be unclean for seven days. So seven days. And, And there was various reasons as to why somebody, a man or a woman or a child or whoever, would be considered unclean. But for this instance, we see it's seven days, one week. This woman had been unclean for 12 years. For 12 years, she was unclean. And here's what that means. That when a person was considered unclean, according to Levitical law, she had to separate herself. She had to step away from society. She had to travel so far out of the city that she potentially would not come in contact with anybody who was in her life circle with anybody who was in that town in that village because if she did then they would be unclean and then they would have to come out and have a a time of separation for the for the for them to be now clean so this woman coming into the town unclean was taking a huge risk at being found out we sometimes do the same thing when we're trying to restore a relationship We try to just forget about what happened and hope it will just blow over because we're worried about how the other person might react. And then that relationship becomes broken. Fear of reaction, which is what we see with the woman, fear of reaction can keep us from fixing a broken relationship. Fear of what the other person is going to say. Fear of what the other person is going to do. Fear of reaction. Fear of reaction makes us assume the other person will say or do or act in a certain way. And because we assume that person will act in a certain way, because we assume, we decide to live in the fear of reaction and we don't go and try to mend the relationship. Therefore, breaking the relationship. And this woman who was had been bleeding She was afraid of the reaction of the people and the crowd would have if they realized that this unclean woman was now in their presence. She had a fear of the reaction from Jesus, what Jesus would do or say if he realized that she touched him without permission. Because she had been cut off from society for so long, the fear She let her fear of how she thought people would react cause relationships with her friends and her family to become broken. Fear of reaction. Lack of faith. Letting too much time pass causes relationships to be broken and eventually beyond our ability to fix. Don't let broken relationships get to that point. Seek out restoration. Restoration needs to happen. Restoration is when we take something from its former condition, making it new again or better than it was before. And that's easy to do with a piece of furniture. 
But how do we do that in life? How do we do that with a relationship? First, we got to swallow our pride. Be willing to go to the other person and say, I'm sorry. Hey, there's this thing between us. Can we talk? We must also move in humility. Be willing, like both Jairus and the woman did, as we saw in their separate verses, that they fell at Jesus' feet. We must be willing to fall at the feet of our broken relationship. Or like Jesus, if a person is coming to us, be able in humility to graciously accept them. Last, we must surrender to the sovereignty of Christ. Allow the power that he established by dying on the cross to work in ours and the other person's heart and begin to soften and mend the relationship. It is only through Jesus that restoration can happen. Jesus dying on the cross, blood being shed, allows forgiveness to happen. Forgiveness with ourselves, forgiveness with somebody else, forgiveness with him. True restoration happens through Jesus. These two instances that happen at the same time points towards Jesus on the cross and the restorative power that it holds. Let me show you. In Luke 8.42, we see that the 12-year-old girl is dying. The very next verse we hear about the woman bleeding. So in this, in this passage, in this story, we have death and blood mentioned at the same time. The only other story in the gospel where death and blood are mentioned at the same time is Jesus on the cross. And so when we look in the gospel of John 19 and verse 33, we see that Jesus has died. And then in the very next verse, we, we see where it mentions about Jesus' blood coming out of him being poured out for us. Death and blood are mentioned at the same time. These are the only two places, the only two stories, the only two stories in all the gospels that mention death and blood at the same time. This story points towards Jesus on the cross which we just said, and so both stories point towards restoration. Restoration can only happen because of the healing blood of Jesus Christ. Because him going up on that cross and sacrificing for us allowed us to be restored back to him, which now allows us to restore with other people. And restoration happened with our two women that we're talking about today. We read in verse 50, but when Jesus heard what happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she'll be healed. And when they arrived at the house, Jesus wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, John, and the father and the mother of the little girl. And the house was filled with people weeping and wailing and Jesus says, stop the weeping. She's not, she's not dead. She's just asleep. And then and, and people found some humor in that because it says that they laughed. 
And they, they, they laughed because they knew that she had died. And so they're like, who's this crazy man that thinks she's just asleep? We know she's dead. But in the room that they went to, Jesus took her by the hand and in a loud voice, he said, my child, get up. And at that moment, life returned to her. And she immediately stood up. Jesus told them to give her something to eat and her parents were overwhelmed. And they were overwhelmed because the daughter was restored to her family. The daughter-parent relationship was no longer broken. Restoration had happened between the daughter and the parents. And Jesus tells them to have faith, which I think Jairus had when he first went to Jesus to ask for his daughter to be healed. But then, as we mentioned earlier, that faith stopped. That faith was broken when the daughter had died. And so in here, the relationship, the faith, the relationship with Jesus was also restored. And then if we look at verse 48, he says, daughter. Daughter, he's addressing to the woman who was bleeding. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. Go find the family and the friends that you've been apart for for so long and fix that relationship. Restore those relationships. And then he says that her faith had made her well. So that faith, the relationship with Jesus was also restored. The sacrifice Christ made restores our relationship with him, which leads to restoration with others. So I ask again, who is the one that you need to fix things with? Who is the neighbor? Who is the family member? Who's the coworker? Who's the person that we serve alongside here at OCC? Who's the person that we share coffee with every day? Who is the one that you need to fix things with? Swallow your pride. Move in humility. And allow Jesus to begin to work and restore that relationship. Let's pray. Jesus, you began the model of restoration when you went up on the cross. When you went up on that cross and you sacrificed for us, you died for us, you loved for us. And you established that love and over time, you have given us hope in you, hope in ourselves, hope in each other. And that hope can lead to restoration. It can lead to the restoration of a relationship, causing transformation to happen, not only in that relationship, but within ourselves and within ourselves and in our relationship with you. So Jesus put it on our hearts. Who's the one? Who's the one that we need to find and fix things with? Who's the one that that relationship needs to be restored with? And when we know that person, Jesus work in that relationship if too much time has passed. Jesus, take us out of the fear and now let's have that faith that that relationship can be fixed. We love you and you. We ask for this in the power of who you are and in your name and in your blood. Amen.
All right. Well, hey, we normally come